Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, where we explore all aspects of ending relationships, separation, and parenting apart. If your marriage or partnership has ended, or you have friends and family who are separating, this podcast is for you. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor, divorce specialist, and co-founder of Amicable, the online legal service for separating couples. In each episode, we look at relationships and separation from different angles, including the emotional, legal, and social. I'm joined by experts and special guests who share their own unique stories, experience, and tips with the goal of helping people end relationships in a kinder and better way. In this episode, I was joined by midlife mentors Claire and James Davis to discuss building self-confidence after a separation. Claire and James are the husband and wife team behind the multi-award winning wellbeing company 38 Degrees North and the thriving midlife coaching business, The Midlife Mentors. The couple's evidence-based approach, leveraging their backgrounds and qualifications in psychology, coaching, hormones, nutrition, personal training, stress management, menopause and NLP, empowers individuals with the practical tools and knowledge they need to make positive, lifelong changes to their lives. The couple have a successful podcast, The Midlife, and their passion is helping midlifers achieve the body, mind and lifestyle they deserve, offering an anti-fad approach to the health and wellness narrative. We start the episode by looking at their own divorce journeys and then move on to discuss how to build self-confidence after a separation. This episode is full of practical takeaways to help you make immediate and effective changes during or after a breakup. If you loved this episode, then please subscribe and rate us on your preferred listening platform. Welcome, James and Claire. Hello. Hello. Introduction. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Well, I'm very excited about this. It's lovely to have two people and a husband and wife team, and both of you have been divorced. So, I mean, you are just our perfect guest on the podcast, I think. (laughs) Such a wealth of experience across everything we talk about. So, it's really lovely to have you. I wonder if we can start then at the beginning. I mentioned just then that you've both been divorced. Without going into too much personal detail, just tell us a little bit about your individual experiences. Claire, What happened when your relationship broke down? Well, I've actually been divorced twice. So third time lucky. (laughs) Join the club. Me too. We call it the the double D club. Yeah, that's the only double Ds I will ever have. uh... Ditto. Yep. (laughs) So, uh, yes, I've been divorced twice and neither of them were particularly amicable. And I was very young when I first got married in my early 20s and... That fell apart for various reasons, and I, I that actually led on to me having a very life-changing experience. I finished my job, I uprooted, I went traveling around the world at 27 and kind of started my life over again. Then I returned home and got married again. And that didn't end up very well either. Neither of the marriages lasted very long. So I kind of ended up thinking that I was just doomed to living a single life. And I'd always been told that I was too much. I expected too much and I should compromise more. And I felt like that's what I did with my first two marriages. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to accept that maybe that is me and I shouldn't get married because, you know, I expect too much and I'm too much. and. True love just doesn't exist for me. And that's when 
about two years after making that pact with myself, James entered my life and we got married within a year of getting together. Wow. So quite a journey then and quite an emotional roller coaster by the sound of it. You complete sort of reset and reboot after your first marriage, going into a second one and that not working. That must have being quite hard on your self-confidence at that point. Yeah, it really was. I think, the, well, the reason I, I know the reason that I do what I do now is because after my second divorce, I was put on antidepressants. I was uh, very, very low. I piled on the pounds. I didn't look after myself, didn't respect myself at all. So my, yeah, my self-worth and my self-love was, was non-existent. And it wasn't actually until I found the courage to seek some help and exercise I know it sounds crazy but the exercise completely changed my world so did nutrition learning about how to look after myself gave me back some of my self-respect I was able to come off the antidepressants after about six months and that's when my passion particularly for helping other women going through a similar thing really ignited and that's why I requalified to do what I do now and it's a beautiful thing that I'm able to do the coaching that I used to do with the stress management and the ALP and then add in the physical side of things as well because it is so important to our confidence. Well, that's wonderful. I'm going to come back and unpack some of that in a minute. But James, just tell us your story as well. So we've got Claire who's gone through a couple of divorces, come out the other side. What's your story? Yeah, so I was married for, I think it was about 12, 12 years or 12 years plus, but kind of a 15, 16 year relationship. And we'd moved to Ibiza to set up the, the fitness retreats business and found that quite a struggle. So that was putting, I'd say, strain on our lives. But to me, not on the relationship, nothing was outwardly wrong. And then one day, my wife just turned around and said that she wanted to separate. So for me, in my early 40s, having left security of the cor- corporate world, set out on my own, and then suddenly had a relationship of that length finish, really hit my self-confidence. I was kind of left trying to hold the business together. and figure out what I was going to do with myself. So there was a lot of inner work that I had to do there to kind of pick myself up and come back. But ultimately, you know, it's taken me to a great place. I I met Claire and it's made me passionate about helping other people be able to do that work as well. Because I think we can always hit a point where, you know, for me, for my background, I knew the tools. I knew what I should be doing, but I just didn't have the, I guess, the emotional space at the time to pick them up and use them. So it just took me a bit of time and then reaching out for help and getting up and going again. So, yeah, I'm really passionate about helping other people do that and rediscover what they're, what they're really capable of. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because, you know, when you either work in this industry or you've got a psychological background or anything like that and these things, emotional turmoil hits you, you're always left questioning yourself, thinking, well, if I'm sort of trying to, if I should know about this, how come I can't apply this to myself? And I think it's really interesting what you say about that being about the timing and about the headspace. As you say, you might know the tools, but to actually have the wherewithal to pick them up and the headspace and the time to do it in that moment of crisis, that's something else, isn't it? And sometimes we need other people, even when we know the tools, to actually help us at that that moment. So it's fascinating what you do. So how did you formulate the business that you have now? How did that come about? Uh, so the Midlife Mentors was born out of 38 Degrees North and the, our fitness retreats company because most of our clients were and are midlifers. And we kept seeing 
the same problems, people with the same problems coming to our retreats. And it wasn't just about the physical aspects. You know, yes, our hormones change, therefore our body changes, therefore that impacts negatively our confidence. But it wasn't just that. It was actually the thing that we found most fascinating was people questioning whether the the best years of their life were over. And how to reignite some passion and self-power back into their lives so that they could feel more fulfilled. Because I think I think this happens for everyone. Once we get to a certain point in our life, we have spent all of our years building material things around us, status, an opinion of who we are in the world. And I think that can be... We lose our self-identity a little bit at midlife and we start questioning whether the rest of our life, we want the same things. So that was a really, really interesting observation and such passion to help those people in mind, body and soul to reconnect with their true self so they can thrive in the second act of their life. And the Midlife Mentors was actually started with the Midlife Mentors podcast over three and a half years ago. And that was just an opportunity for James and I to share our knowledge with so much passion and enthusiasm, completely for free, obviously. And then from there, we built the coaching program. We get asked to go into corporates like KPMG and Citibank to to share that, that midlife message that the best years of your life are ahead of you, not behind you. And James, is midlife a chronological age or is it just a life stage? What defines midlife? You know, when you're looking at coaching and helping people, who are we? Who are the people who are at midlife? What do they look like? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So um, as Claire speaking now, I was reflecting, you know, I guess we go back 200 years. What we think of as midlife now was kind of like almost near the end of your life, you know, and the data used to be horrific. You know, people people retired and they'd be dead within a couple of years because, you know, but we're living much, much longer now and we do have a long way ahead of us. So I say, I say midlife, if you want to put a number on it, I'd say probably sits somewhere between 40 and 60. And I think it's interesting because this point in life, we have so many changes happening. So, you know, if we're parents, it's often when our, our children are growing up and they're leaving the nest, we may have aging parents that need care themselves. We've probably reached that point where we feel we should be at the pinnacle of our careers and maybe aren't where we want to be, or we, we even are there, but are like, this isn't actually what I wanted. We're juggling our relationships, our finances. There's, there's a lot of pressures coming to bear. At the same time, we have these hormonal changes happening. And this is, you know, obviously, there's a lot of publicity around the menopause, which is amazing, but it's not just our primary sex hormones. So there's all these other hormonal changes going on that affect us, not just physically, but psychologically and emotionally as well. And the same is, is true for men to an extent as well, particularly with the decline in testosterone. So you've got kind of melting plot of things going on. Plus, I think it's just a natural point in life to kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm halfway and kind of take stock. But I think rather than looking ahead and thinking, oh, you know, this is an inevitable decline, it's the opportunity to go, right, okay, what do I want now from the second part of my life? Who do I want to be? Because we can drop a lot of the stuff that's been holding us back and actually step forward into a new identity and go for new goals and, and do things. We have so many clients like go off, strengthen their existing relationships or form new ones, go and like get new jobs, form their own businesses. So I think we have so much time ahead of us. It's just a great time to, to reevaluate and see where you want to go. 
Yeah. And I guess for lots of people listening to our podcast, they're at a a crossroads that may not be of their own choosing. You know, some people in a separation, sometimes it's a mutual decision. Sometimes it's your decision. Sometimes it's the other person's decision. And I guess for that reason, it can be pretty stressful. Either you're feeling the guilt and responsibility or you're feeling the shock or you're just feeling the general sadness of having agreed together that, you know, this particular relationship has finished. So I guess when you add in the stress that that brings on top of this, as you say, some quite strong physiological changes sometimes and hormonal changes, it's quite a melting pot, isn't it? What tends to happen to our confidence around midlife? Is there a typical pattern or is it horses for courses? You know, we'll all approach it and come at it in a different way. I think from our experience, there is a crisis of confidence for a lot of people, a majority of people. And like James has alluded to, it is so, so much to do with those physiological changes. And We can get very confused about that at midlife. We can feel very alone. We can feel very anxious about the fact that we can feel these changes and we can feel our confidence and self-esteem starting to slide, but we can't quite dig ourselves out of it. And I think sometimes just saying, look, yes, there's stuff going on in your life. Of course there is that's making you feel like this, but also it's what's happening to your body. So it's happening to everyone. And so those people feel a little bit more self-compassion and they feel less alone. But I think that self-confidence piece, I do, in, in our experience, as I say, I feel like that happens to a lot of people because there are so many pressures. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as well. And often we go to the bottom of the pile of priorities. So we always do. So when the opportunity presents itself, maybe when our children fly the nest or we might be reaching retirement years, we're thinking, how do I put myself first? And there's a lack of confidence almost to put ourselves first. So I think the physiological changes, I think as we age, we lose our confidence to take risks as well. That's a big, big thing. You know, when we're younger, we play to win. When we're older, we play not to lose the things that we fought so hard to create for ourselves so there's a lack of confidence around taking risks and going outside our comfort zone and that's just putting yourself in the right circle that's actually understanding that and being aware of that and actually starting to reprogram our mind and open up our minds for what is possible because sometimes when we get to this stage of our life we're very very narrow focused and it's about expanding that world view I was going to say for a lot for a lot of people, there's this kind of deconstruction of the ego almost and that they've built a persona based on you know, what they've achieved, like, oh, the, the career position or, you know, being that amazing, like building the family, the material things they've accumulated and suddenly they realize that actually that's not that important to me. So without that, who, who am I now? So they, they can go from feeling very confident sometimes, you know, that typical alpha thing to actually like being quite in doubt. Mm. I think um, also people feel a bit duped, if you know what I mean, because we, we keep being told, let's get to the next level, even from primary school. It'd be better. Yeah. It'd be better. <laughs> It'll be better. Yeah, let's yeah, yeah. It's, it'd yeah. be better. And when you get to that stage, you'll be happy. When you'll get to that stage, you'll be happy. And, you know, we always say happiness is an inside job. 
But most of the time, we've looked for external things to make us happy. So by the time we get to midlife and we have all of these external things, we feel a bit duped because we're thinking, well, I got to the next level. I got to the next level. I got to the next level. And still, I haven't learned how to be happy. But most people don't even know that they haven't learned how to be happy. They just thought that the things that they created around themselves would do that job. Yeah, would make them happy. And I've, I really was interested in what you're saying just then as well from a divorce perspective, because I guess as well, when you've built the status around being a great you know, parent or uh, acquiring a lovely house or nice cars or being able to go on nice holidays, when you acquire those things and then a divorce happens, they're often the things that you lose quite early on and quite quickly. And again, that can create this crisis of confidence and this crisis of identity. It feels like it's that sort of having a firm and strong identity, which is driving confidence, isn't it? And really helping people to anchor themselves in who they are rather than what they've got or what they've done. And you know yourself, you know, when you meet people, you talk about what you've done or what your job is or who you are. And it, it feels like what you're saying is that actually the confidence is something which is quite different to that, which is not necessarily about what you are or what even what you look like or what you used to look like. Because I guess a natural part of this is aging and, and not having the same physicality that perhaps you've had in the past as well. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So just t- tell me a little bit about building self-confidence. So if somebody comes on one of your retreats or they want to, they recognize whether it's a divorce or it's another life event that they they want to do that sort of personal stock take of themselves, what sort of things are you going to help them with? I think the first thing that's really interesting is helping people like get back in touch with their physicality. I think so many of us actually lose connection to our body. And certainly when we go through something like a separation or divorce as well, like looking after ourselves, you know, self-care can be one of the first things that goes out the window, you know. We obviously we're stressed, we feel down, we may tend to like comfort eat, comfort drink, the weight piles on, we feel bad about ourselves, and it comes in a self-perpetuating circle. What we found is if you can put people back in touch with their body and just start taking small steps about about moving more, and there's lots of research about you know, daily exercise um, actually changes our neurotransmitters, you know, we'll get feel-good endorphins, we'll start to actually lift our moods, feel less anxious, less stressed. So it's about getting that, that movement part in and starting to move the body. And that's funny, it seems to have then have an effect on thought patterns and brain. So obviously that's one level we want to work, the physical level. Make sure we're nourishing the body in the right way with, with the right kinds of food, you know, cutting back on the sugars, cutting back on the alcohol, putting in fresh natural foods. Mm-hmm. So we're promoting you know, good gut health. But then on the, I guess, the psychological, emotional level, one thing interesting there was like, you know, recognizing people that, yeah, it's natural to have a grieving process, but also to not spend too long there if they can, to recognize that, yeah, okay, these things are lost. But if you, if you dwell on what you've lost, you're going to drive yourself mad. So actually, we talk about switching from, obstacle to opportunity thinking so it's like okay this thing's happened and i'm gonna grieve the things that i've lost but what are the opportunities that i have going forward what's changed for me that i can see a positive way ahead and starting to switch to a more positive way of thinking and once you do that and there are daily exercises we give people to that things like a daily gratitude practice you actually quite quickly start to change your mindset and in conjunction with physicality that can have a very fast effect on on kind of turning people around to feel more positive about things and start to build that confidence up and then the last part i'd say is as claire said we get more risk adverse so it's starting to learn to take small risks that you're comfortable with at first but are just going to slightly push you out like go and start a new hobby there's a 
we again we let our ego hold us back you know if we've never danced but we think i always love to dance but it's like i don't want to look a fool well guess what you know a child when they go to a dance class never dance doesn't worry about looking like a fool they just enjoy the process so so go and do those things because you'll meet new people widen your social network which we all know is great for us as well but also you know you're learning new skills and it's going to help increase your confidence that's so interesting, isn't it? Because you're right, kids don't think about it in the same way we do. And when you say things like build up your appetite for risk, you kind of think, well, what does that actually mean? But very small things like, as you say, going and getting a new hobby or just making contact with new people in that way or, I don't know, going out dating again, those sorts of things, those real sort of small steps actually build up, don't they, to a, a very magnified it sounds like kind of life change and lots of different opportunities opening up to you what holds people back so what are the typical things that the barriers that people put up for themselves it's a really in a nutshell a, a huge lack of self-belief <laughs> and we always say actually sometimes we need to borrow belief off of other people for a while this is why it's really really helpful to be in a network that is uplifting for you, that is inspiring for you. It's so important what environment you're in as well. You know, they say the five people in your immediate circle are the ones that influence you the most. So actually really checking in with that and asking yourself if you're in in an inspiring community, that accountability. So borrowing belief off of those people that can hold out their hands and say this way, you know, I've been there. It's okay. It's going to, you know, time heals that really, really awful thing that we don't want to hear when we're in it, but it's true. And holding out our hands and showing, being the lighthouse a little bit. But I think a lack of self-belief, absolutely. Limiting beliefs, so really diving into having awareness, actually, of what those limiting beliefs are. That's what we work on too. People make excuses as well. But again, it's the nugget of a lack of self-belief. It really is. It's like, I don't have time. It's too hard. I'm not good enough. Another one is I don't have any self-belief and I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. And what we say to those examples when people, we can see through it. You know, as coaches, we can see through that when when all the excuses are coming at us because we've been there. It's not like we're sitting on our high horses at all saying that that's never been us. Of course, there's a lack of self-belief even for me now for certain goals that I have and a lack of self-worth, which is why I think it's so important for us to have coaches as well. But it is about just taking one step at a time. It really is. And knowing that if you stay as you are, just having a real reality check with yourself and thinking, okay, if I if I'd have done something about this six months ago, where would my life be now? If I don't do anything about this in three months, in six months, in a year, where will my life be? And we do tend, this whole lack of self-belief thing, we do tend to think, that we have to make these massive changes and we have to have these big epiphanies, massive lifestyle transformations. And that isn't actually true. It's the little incremental steps day by day that build massive change. It's a complete lie that we can do it quickly. It's a complete lie that there's some magical pill. It all takes, it all takes time and consistency. But after a while, we build that self-belief And we build that self-confidence once we get momentum. But you don't get self-belief and self-confidence first. It comes through taking the daily small actions. Yes. I'm really interested in what you said there in terms of the kind of five people around you. Because that kind of, that friends and family network 
can have such an influence, particularly, you know, when we talk about separation and divorce, we talk a lot about friends and family and sometimes very well-meaning, you know, heartfelt advice can be completely the wrong thing. And I'm, it's just, I'm just wondering if there's a parallel here because you may have friends and family who like you as you are. And I know from kind of my work with counseling that sometimes when people make big personal changes, it can have quite the ripple effect and not necessarily an easy ripple effect on their friends and family. Just talk a little bit about what happens if you make this personal change and then your circle isn't quite prepared for it. Yeah, that's a really great question. And actually, um, I was looking at research on this just the other week, which is fascinating. Um, It was a longitudinal health study and they found, um, they were looking at physical characteristics, but also overlapped into things like happiness as well. On the physical side, might get the the number slightly wrong, but um, incredibly, if you had a friend that was obese, it made you 45% more likely to become overweight yourself. If you had a friend of a friend, so not even your network, you were still 20% more likely. And there were similar things for emotions, happiness and stuff. So actually, it does have that much of an impact. And what you said there is really interesting because often when we make changes and we, we're moving towards a positive goal, we would hope that our close circle would want to be behind us pushing towards that. But sometimes when we start to shine our own light, it throws a shadow on other people's dark parts they don't want to look at themselves. So you know, they'll often try and pull you back. You know, it's uh, if you say, right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get really healthy now. I'm on a health kick. It's that, it's that friend that's going, oh, come on, let's go and eat some cake to cheer you up. Let's go to the pub again. So I think it can be really tricky where it's friends and family. I think what you need to do is just be really aware of people's behavior. Be focused on what your goals are and try and, and stand back from it and be a bit objective about whether you think the people around you are, are supporting you on that or detracting. Now, if they're detracting, you probably can't easily shut them out of your life, but you can just kind of like not take their counsel. I want to say about, you know, we live in an information age where there's, there's lots of negatives to social media. One of the great things about it is we can find other communities of people on a similar journey that are uplifting. So you can, you can kind of join virtual networks, if not indeed like, you know, real life networks, where you can be around people that are aligned with your goals that are going to lift you up and actually encourage you to go forward. So I think that's the key. It's about, finding your new tribe that's aligned with where you want to go and focusing your attention on there and, and kind of discounting the naysayers if they're not taking the direction you want to go. I also just want to add, like, try, I know it's hard, try not to take it so personally. And I know that's really, really hard. But like James said, you're shining a light on stuff that they might not have the courage to look at themselves or like we do in relationships, we look at ourselves in relation to each other. So by you changing, it kind of changes the way they see themselves, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah. yeah, totally. So that's very, very uncomfortable for a lot of people because everything, we don't like being outside our comfort zone. Our subconscious mind craves comfort. So as soon as your behaviors start to shift, they don't know what they are in relation to you anymore. So it's a very personal journey for them. It's not about you personally. Yes, that's a really good point. Sometimes we overemphasize our own self-importance, don't we, in uh, what creates waves in the world when actually it's often nothing to do with us and it's a lot of the time to do with other people. It's a really good point. So let's just think about then, if we've got somebody, lots of people listening who might be going through separation or divorce and you're going to put a plan together for them, what are some of the things that you would be encouraging people in that this point of turmoil 
to do for themselves from either a health, well-being, nutritional or whatever perspective? I love that question because it will always always start actually it's there's a myriad there's a really integrated approach actually so our approach actually for the midlife method is very integrated but I think the first thing we would get anyone to do is just start moving so it's it's not just the mental stuff it's the impact and this is why I got into what I do now because I had all of that toolkit of psychology and coaching and NLP and everything but it wasn't until I started moving my body and connecting with my body that I reclaimed my confidence, my stress reduced because obviously I was reducing my stress hormone cortisol. So I, and I was in, increasing serotonin and dopamine. I was just feeling good. So I would say the first thing to do is just move. And we're not saying go and do a hit class. We're not saying go and pound the, the pavements. We're just saying if you're in, inside a lot of the time and you are hooked to your mobile phone, you are hooked to Netflix, just please get up and take a walk around the block. Get some vitamin D because we know vitamin D helps with depression. Okay, so get some vitamin D. I would say cut out as much sugar as you can and be aware of your triggers for comfort food. Um, a lot of us use food as a comforter to mask our own emotions and that's understandable and we all do that because we're also looking for the dopamine hit that that comfort food gives us. But if we can start to reduce our sugar intake, that's going to really help with our gut health. And our gut is called the second brain. It's where most of our serotonin is created. So if we're feeling low and we're not looking after our gut health, that's going to make everything even worse. Your anxiety is going to increase. Your depression is going to increase. So making sure that you are cutting down on the sugar to reduce the inflammation of your gut. Alcohol, listen, we're not puritanical about it. But again, we know it's a depressant. And it's going to affect your sleep. It's going to make the stress hormone cortisol in your body increase. So just being careful about how you are relying on alcohol to reduce stress because actually it's creating inflammation and causing you more stress. I would say make sure you have got good people around you. Make sure that you are connecting with other people because as human beings, we need connection. We crave a tribe. We crave connection. So making sure if you can not to isolate yourself too much. That's where I would start. Have you got anything else to add? I would echo all of that. So the other, the other important thing we underestimate is like start doing the mental work as well, right? Because we, we kind of, we're so used, I think, in our society to going, oh, okay, I need to move the body up. Yes, I need to get my nutrition right. But we need to work our psychology as well. So things like, you know, um, remembering every day to do like a gratitude practice, having affirmations about, who you're becoming and stepping into, stuff like that practiced consistently that doesn't take long will pay dividends over quite a short space of time. Just give an example, um, James, if you would, of like a gratitude practice just so people can sort of get their heads around what it might be. Yeah, so a really simple one we get our clients to do is just first thing in the morning. So before it's really important. So many people get up and they let the outside world in straight away, right? So we'll wake up and it's the radio, the telly, we'll pick up the phone, the messages, the internet. You've given away your power straight away. Whatever comes in there has set your bandwidth for the day. So it's really important. Don't do any of that. When you get up, just center. Just write down or think about three things you're grateful for from the day before, three specific things, three things you're grateful for in life generally, and then set an intention for the day. It's it's literally as simple as that. And that will take, you know, a two-minute practice. You can write it down in a little book you keep by the side of the bed. That will just start your day. You instantly start on the day in an attitude of gratitude. 
Right. And at the risk of being really granular here, just say what an intention for the day might be. Because I just want everyone to be able to listen to this and then have something that they can do that's going to change things for them from the minute they've listened. So an intention. Yeah. You may have like a specific event that you know you're doing that day, like maybe like an interview or something. So you're like, I know I'm just going to have full confidence that interview. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to absolutely smash it. Don't in particular, just be like, today is going to be a great day for me. And I have a smile on my face. It's a day filled with opportunity. Just something like that. Just setting an intention for, for good, positive things, basically. Mm. I also just want to say on the gratitude, the thing that most people miss out is feeling it. Okay, so sometimes we can just go on autopilot. And listen, sometimes in the in the morning, I'm more grateful one day to the next. Sometimes I find it difficult to connect with it. So we all do. But don't quit. Don't give in because it actually starts rebuilding the neural pathways and they'll get stronger and stronger the more you do it. The really important thing is, not to just pay lip service to it, but to feel it, feel that gratitude really, really. And and then also like visualize, visualize a great future. That's another thing that you can do within just a couple of minutes, like visualize. doesn't matter if it's anything specific, but visualize yourself being happy. Visualize yourself getting out of bed with energy and vitality and wearing something that you just know you're going to rock the world in, you know? visualize good things because we also know from a lot of the work that Dr. Joe Dispenza does, he's done so much research around meditation, going into a theater state, visualizing and the power that that has actually not just on the neural pathways, but physiologically, it changes the hormones in our body. So the more we can do that, the more we then start to behave like the person we're visualizing. Yeah. Live the life you want to lead. That's the mantra we used to have. <laughs> when the last time I had a job <laughs> and we always used to say, live the life you want to live when we were in our 20s and we were going um you know through that kind of period of not having got anything yet and wanting to get there and we just just live the life we want to lead Love and that. yeah it's that that visualization of it you you can be what you can see and there's a lot of that around at the moment isn't there you can be what you can see with the women's world cup but actually you can see it in your mind's eye as well as seeing it outside and that's really important i think to remember isn't it i mean the, you've kind of extolled the benefits of of well-being and nutrition what's the benefit of this holistic approach then over other sort of piecemeals or you know i mentioned in the intro there's no fad diets here what's the sort of thinking behind this holistic way of, of being? Well, I think it really came about from our own experience of working with so many different people. But like we did see, and we still do, this is the quick fix. This is the singular thing that's going to help you. The problem is when you take anything in isolation, it knocks the rest of the, the, the other bits off. Everything works in isolation. We are mind, body, and soul. We just absolutely are. So we could never have just gone out and created which we never would anyway, like a diet plan. We would never have just created an exercise plan. What we felt truly passionate about is helping people realize the truth of who they are, realize their potential, realize their power to create their future and give them the tools to do that. And where a lot of things fail is they they promise that this singular thing is going to fix you. And the truth is we can only fix ourselves. We can only take responsibility for ourselves. No one else is going to come along and fix us. But giving people the tools to really understand themselves and have that self-awareness, that's the key. You can't change what you don't know. So see, people were just getting themselves into this self-sabotaging loop all the time. 
and not knowing why they're behaving in a certain way, why their habits are coming out in a certain way. So that deep inner work, that integrated approach was absolutely key. And getting, you know, the six pillars of our approach was hormones, it's nutrition, it's exercise, it's accountability, it's emotional well-being, so our soul, and then the mental daily tools that we can use to really elevate who we're being. It sounds like just an ideal sort of accompaniment to uh, a divorce or separation to me. You know, if you, if something, if you, if you hit one of life's crises, it feels like this is where you need to come rather than going to the GP for an antidepressant or whatever. Like you say, it's one bit that's trying to fix one thing, but this approach, it's such an opportunity. And I think, you know, the ending of one relationship is the opening up of the next possibility. So we're always trying to look at things in a much more positive way. As you said, we are living longer and therefore the chances of us having multiple relationships has just grown tremendously. So being able to see these moving on points rather than them as crisis and negative things, but just seeing them as an opportunity for a good old kind of physical, mental MOT and using a, a program like this to facilitate that just feels like complete sense thank you (laughs) thank you for saying that just in the final moments i'm really conscious of time but if you had to give people who perhaps were going through that crisis moment in a divorce separation type scenario what would be the one thing if you can limit it to one thing that you would tell them to go and do james i would tell them to like it's it's natural to grieve and feel like you're in a crisis point but remember that the time passes and it, it sounds really cool and emphasis this, but with the passing of time, it will, it will feel less and that there is a way forward. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't in a position to really pick myself up and drive my way forward. And that's fine for a bit. But when you feel ready, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to help for support, help take those first steps forward if you can't do it on your own. But, um, yeah, when you're in crisis point, just know that there is a way forward from it. There are other opportunities out there wonderful opportunities out there. It's, it's actually a chance for you to, to reinvent and become someone else. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. And what about you, Claire, if you were going to say one thing to people listening who might be going through a really tough time right now? I would say really understand that you aren't, you aren't alone. And I know it can feel so, so isolating and you can feel so down on yourself and you can feel like this is never going to end and you're just here to stay. But If you can, like James said earlier on, there are plenty of of people online and communities and people that are just desperate to help you, actually. So really desperate because they've been where you've been and it's their mission in life to actually make sure that they hold out their hands for other people to hold along the path of recovery. So, yeah, I would say... Reach out to those people when you feel strong enough to. Don't feel like you're alone. Don't feel like you're a failure. Because this is just something that has happened in your life, as tragic and as terrible as it might feel. The best years of your life are still to come. Yeah, I like that. It just feels like that sense of community is really important to recovery and healing. And what I love about doing this podcast is that you get to meet people who are using their own experience to just try and make a difference and to share with other people their journey. And that in itself is such a comfort, isn't it? Because when you can say to somebody, I have been there, okay, I might not have the same experience as you, but I have had an experience where I've been at that real low point and these are the things that help me some of them might help you it's such a an amazing thing to be able to connect with people in that way 
and to be a stronger community because of that and to then be able to take in their experience as well so you get much better at being able to help more people I love this the way it sort of grows organically it's wonderful look it's been an absolute joy genuine joy talking to you thank you so much for coming on and sharing your successful coaching practices where can people find out more about the midlife practices that you offer so you can find us at themidlifementors.com which is our website you can take a quiz on there which gives you your midlife health and happiness score and you get a personalized report oh i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that yeah (laughs) on social we're at midlife mentors on instagram and at the midlife mentors on tiktok thank you kate it's been amazing thank you so much for having us on thank you it's been brilliant talking to you and you can find out more about the podcast and subscribe to new episodes and updates by visiting the divorce podcast dot com or on your favorite listening platform and you can find out more about amicable and me i'm at kate underscore daily on x as it is now known thank you so much guys for joining me and thank you everybody for listening <laughs>